0: Hey everybody, welcome back to the Camino Podcast. I'm Dave Whitson, this is episode 26, and today I've got a couple different topics for you. The first one's practical, training. How do you get ready for your Camino? What's the best way to get in shape? And in particular, if it's been a long time since you did something really physical, really demanding of your body, how can you get rolling? For help with that, I reached out to Sherry Goodwin. She is a Trek trainer from Seattle, Washington. Uh, you can find her site at desktotrek.com. And Sherry offered some you know, professional expertise on this subject. My background is mostly just walk until you're in shape. So I sort of just do it by brute force. There's no great technique involved. Sherry's a pro, and she can offer a lot of really helpful, practical advice on how to go from, as her, as her business says, from sitting at a desk, being desk-bound for days, weeks, years and then really getting yourself ready for a trek. And along with Sherry, we're also joined in this episode by Gail Thomas, who's not talking about training. In fact, (laughs) as her story will show, you don't always have to train. She uh, will acknowledge that she didn't train as much as she should have in advance of her pilgrimage. But the primary reason I talked to Gail is because she did something quite unusual. She walked the Camino Frances in the winter. Her Pilgrimage actually spanned two calendar years as she started in December of 2015 and arrived in Santiago in January. And so she was on the Camino on Christmas, on New Year's, and has some really incredible stories to tell from her experience there. And given that this episode is being recorded in late October, I imagine that there are some pilgrims listening who are getting ready for their own November, December. January departures and I hope that you can find some inspiration and encouragement and enthusiasm from Gail's stories. So that's the plan for this episode, episode 26. Thanks as always for listening and enjoy. I'm speaking with Sherry Goodwin of Seattle, Washington. She's a trek trainer, a personal trainer for people getting ready to take long distance treks and it's great to talk with you Sherry and I'm looking forward to learning about your work in this area.
1: Great, yeah, thank you. It's good to talk to you as well.
0: What's your background as a long-distance walker? I'm wondering sort of how you got into this realm and what have been some of your favorite walks along the way?
1: Well, my experience with long-distance walking started about eight years ago when I took a trip to Machu Picchu in Peru and I hiked along the Inca-Inca Trail. And I absolutely fell in love with trekking at that point. I love the... Fact, you could walk from ancient site to ancient site or village to village. I had been an avid traveler. I was a teacher and during the summers I'd take off and travel, yep. but I never did any sort of hiking, you know, adventure mm-hmm. and always went by bus or by train. <laughs> so this was a new adventure and fell in love with it and decided I wanted to do more. And since then I have done several treks. I've gone to Nepal, Patagonia, done some trekking there. I've hiked across England doing the Hadrian's Wall footpath. Went back to Peru because I loved it so much. That is one of my favorite trekking adventures is in Peru. Um, I've also done three different Caminos. So Mm -hmm. the Camino de Santiago, the the Camino Frances, the one Mm -hmm. that most people do, um, just this summer, I went and did the Norte Camino, which is beautiful, amazing. Mm-hmm. I know you've done it as well. I love it. Uh, and and the La Camino, I think you've done that one yeah. too. So the Caminos are fabulous. They are among my favorites as well. Um, I've been in the Dolomites of Italy. I've hiked up Kilimanjaro.
0: <laughs> That's all in the last eight years.
1: All in the last eight years, I've jammed it all in. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, and local trekking.
0: Yeah, cool, of course, so. and you live in the right place for it.
1: Yes, absolutely.
0: So, what's really cool is that you're combining this this interest in in trekking and in, in hiking, long distance walks, with your expertise as a trainer. So, so what is your background in that realm as a as a personal trainer as a, a trek trainer?
1: Yeah, well, I think a lot of my Experientially started with my first career as a PE and health teacher,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I was at the high school level coaching cross-country and track and being in the classroom teaching sports and fitness, and then while I was teaching, I discovered that I wanted to start a new career, and I took a program that was hands-on, six months of uh, and like 500 hours of work <laughs> to become a personal trainer and loved it and decided for sure that I was going to be a very specific personal trainer and train people for track. Sometimes I do train people for basic fitness and health needs, but most people come to me for my track training.
0: And I've been wanting to speak with someone with your kind of expertise for the podcast for a while because I know that there are a lot of people listening who find the podcast because they've decided they want to walk the Camino and they're just starting that process of planning and figuring things out and often one of the the biggest issues is is training because there are a lot of people who decide to walk the Camino a bit later in their life and in a number of cases they're many years removed from engaging in any significant or extended physical activity, and, it, and that's one of the great things about the Camino, that it does provide this physical challenge for people who maybe haven't had one for a long time, but it does pose some challenges if you haven't been especially active over the years. So what advice do you have and what advice do you give to people who are in mm-hmm. that position just starting their training process for the Camino?
1: Yeah, well, I would, my first recommendation, if they haven't been doing much at all over the years for quite a while, I recommend that they see their doctor first and let them know what they're doing and, you know, go through all the tests they need to go to to make sure they're okay to start training. Mm -hmm. So that's my first advice. And then if they have any aches and pains, which a lot of people tend to have knee pain or hip pain or shoulder pain, Um, that that they get that taken care of as well, Mm -hmm. because if you're in pain now and you don't take care of it, it doesn't get better on the Camino. (laughs) Really? It It doesn't just
0: magically heal you?
1: (laughs) (laughs) No. (laughs) So, you know, taking care of those things first and then starting your training and just um, usually you want to start with some sort of functional movement screening test where you're doing some exercises that are testing to see where you're at flexibility-wise, where you're at balance and stability-wise, and strength-wise. And if the flexibility is poor, you want to start with flexibility and then move on to stability and balance. I mean, there's a lot of, Times on the trail where that's uneven, where there could be a fallen tree, Mm -hmm. um, where you're going around or through uh, muddy areas and could be raining, so lots of puddles. So you need to have good stability and balance out there. So doing some of that training is very important. Mm -hmm. And then some very specific strength training that trains the muscles that you're actually going to be using on the trail. So Mm -hmm. things like lunges and step-ups and step-downs that prepare you for the ups and the downs. And during that time, as you start to gain more flexibility and stability and strength, also starting a walking program, but very slowly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Some people, depending on where they're at, need to start with half a mile. You know, Some people can start with three miles. Everybody's Mm -hmm. different. But making sure they start exactly where they're at is the most important piece and being mindful if any sort of pain starts to develop, making sure you're doing correct strengthening exercises to prevent it from getting worse and to make it better.
0: I'm interested in a couple of the points that you mentioned there. One is, so flexibility. I mm-hmm. I confess, I am not a very flexible person. I uh, I should stretch more than I do. But I'm I'm wondering, like I definitely see where the strength comes in and the balance comes in. Why is mm-hmm. flexibility so important for this?
1: Well, you know, if we're not mobile and flexible, there are – and the muscles, if the muscles are tight, they don't Mm -hmm. work as well. So if you continue to walk with tight muscles mile after mile after mile up and down hills, (laughs) the muscle is going to recruit that muscle that isn't working properly because it's tight. Is going to recruit other muscles to work and to help it, to help the body move properly. And then Mm -hmm. eventually that can lead to injury. So you see I don't know if you saw this but I and I think I tend to look for it too but a lot of me people with knees tape I've met oh, yeah. people that had to end their journey early with because they had stress fractures and they're generally overuse injuries the end can be caused due to muscles being tight and not people not being mobile or flexible so that's a hmm. big reason and i I don't know if you've heard of stick rolling or foam rolling um, yeah. but to, both of those, I definitely highly recommend that people use those to help muscles become more flexible.
0: And why is it important to do all of those associated sort of strength-building exercises and not simply jump straight into the walking and just really purpose train directly in that regard? What's the benefit of all of those other exercises?
1: Well, the you know the strength exercises are definitely going to help you feel better on the trail on the especially (laughs) with the, (laughs) with the ups and the downs that the Camino provides us. You know, especially day one of the Camino, if you're going over the Pyrenees and your and if your muscles aren't strong, if you're not doing the strength exercises that develop those muscles for the hills you're going to have a miserable (laughs) first day of your trek. (laughs) So for helping people thrive, I highly recommend strength thriving and feeling good on the trail. I recommend the strength exercises Mm -hmm. and they also do help prevent injuries. If you're strong in the right ways, then you're going to, your body will last longer (laughs) without breaking down.
0: (laughs) You mentioned ignoring pain when it's coming up in the training process and that's a common error. What are some other common errors that people make in their training, things that might set them back?
1: Well, what I find generally is that people tend to start too late with their training, and then they don't Mm. do enough training. I think people are, they underestimate the difficulty of a long-distance day-in and day-out hike, Um, and it is difficult on the body. So starting, you know, I say at least three months out, you need to be starting, but for those that, you know, we talked about earlier that are removed uh, maybe a few years from doing any sort of exercise, they really should be thinking a year out to start doing something, <laughs> start doing some walking, <laughs> some basic training, and then six months before really starting to focus more towards trek training and bringing in more hiking, and then three months highly focused training. On specifically your trek, so that's hmm. the first I'd say common error. Is they don't start well well in advance um, and don't do enough training. And you know, if you're only starting one or two months before, it's very difficult to properly build up to a say a six to eight hour hike, which is a lot of times in the Camino, you're out mm-hmm. there for that long. So. You know, you need, you need three months to build up to that safely without injury. And I think the other thing people don't realize that they probably should do is building their training so that they're able to do three long days before, three long days in a row of hiking before they leave. And Mm I, I always say to do that a month before you leave because what those three long days do is they let you know how your body's going to respond to day in and day out hiking. Uh, mm-hmm. It's great to go on the weekend for a day hike, and, but then if you don't hike till the next weekend, you never get the feel of what it's like to hike day in, day out. Some people, after three days in a row of hiking, their feet swell up a lot, and mm-hmm. then their shoes don't fit them well, and then there's blisters. <laughs> so <laughs> if if you can take care of that before you go, and you've done it a month in advance, you've got enough time to change shoes or figure out you need different socks or figure out what you need to do for blisters. So, But if Mm -hmm. you're figuring that on the trail, it can be quite a painful process (laughs) and not fun. So I think those are two, I'd say, common errors. And then if people are doing those strengthening exercises, if they haven't been instructed by someone that knows how to do them properly, poor form can lead to injuries. So that's another common thing I've seen is People say if you're doing lunges, if your knees are going well over your toe, then you're Mm -hmm. putting a lot of stress on the knees. So making sure exercises are done with proper form is really important. Oh, the other one I'd like to mention too is the Camino has many different types of terrain. And Mm -hmm. because of that in your training, you should definitely be training on all those different types of terrain. And there's a uh, decent amount of hard surface. Mm -hmm. So making sure you are training on cement and asphalt surfaces so that the bottoms of your feet can get used to those harder surfaces. So those are, I'd say kind of common errors if they're not, if they're just training in the mountains or on nice, you know, soft trails, (laughs) Mm -hmm. that's not going to cut it for the Camino.
0: You mentioned that there are, there are right ways and wrong ways to do some of the exercises. And that makes sense. And, Mm-hmm. Uh, this feels kind of like a silly question, but are there right ways and wrong ways to walk? Are, like, do people have some bad habits in how they walk, how they stride, that they need to have corrected?
1: In our society today, our shoulders tend to be forward a lot. So I would mm. just, you know, main thing is proper posture as you're walking. But we tend to, you know, beat at our computers so much that we've trained our body to kind of slouch. <laughs> and so we need to, as you're walking, really practice good posture and making sure the shoulders aren't rounding forward, and you're, a good way to think about it is putting your shoulders into your back pocket, and that way <laughs> it helps them go back and down, <laughs> so that's kind of a good <laughs> trick, and, you know, and looking straight ahead versus down at your feet. I know sometimes you need to look down at your feet, but Again, that puts you into poor posture as well. So trying to look straight ahead as much as possible. Um, Some people use, you know, walking sticks or walking poles, and that's fine. Sometimes that can help keep the rhythm going. You don't want to overstride. Everybody's strides different, so I couldn't really tell you the length of stride (laughs) because leg length is different. Um, But, yeah, just proper posture, really. Standing nice and tall and walking and uh, occasionally checking to see if your core is engaged. And you don't have to do that the whole time, but it does help take pressure up the low back if the core is working well.
0: It seems like one of the biggest impediments to training for a long-distance trek is that, you know, one of the most essential kinds of training is long distance walking that you mm-hmm. you need to actually do purpose training you actually need to go on long hikes like you said but that's mm-hmm. time-consuming and people have busy days so mm-hmm. are, are there particularly intensive or efficient kinds of workout that people can do to get more bang for their buck to have an hour that really is beneficial to their overall training
1: Yes, they can do things like I do with my runners, but you won't be running, you'd be walking. Interval training, such as take a find a hill in your neighborhood, hopefully mm-hmm. you have a hill somewhere, and <laughs> <laughs> walk up it at kind of medium to hard pace, a, a faster pace than you normally would be walking on the trail. And what that does is it gets your heart rate up quite quickly, and you go f- as long as you can up the hill, and then when you feel out of breath, turn around and walk back down. And the walk back down is a slower pace. It's your recovery. Mm -hmm. And then once you get to the bottom, head right back up the hill. So you Hmm. would, you know, start with, depending on how far up the hill you go and how big your hill is, you might start with five hill repeats. And then each week you start with, you maybe add one or two hill repeats to that. Um, mm-hmm. So that definitely gets a gets you going with a great cardiovascular workout, and it's weight bearing. So it's you know you're doing hills that you're going to be facing on the trail. So I mm-hmm. think that's a great kind of faster workout that doesn't take you all day. You know, one that's not specific. Swimming is great on days when you need a break from the weight bearing exercises from walking. Hmm because you shouldn't be walking every single day during your training. Um, Taking a break from it and doing some swimming is a great cross-training idea because it trains the heart and lungs really well, and you're training different muscles. Mm -hmm. So that helps support the whole body. That one's a great way to get great quick cardio workout. If you don't have hills for, you know, the hill training, you can find stairs at a stadium or in a building. Mm -hmm. Um, Stairs are a little bit hard. They're a little harder on the knees, but if your knees are good, then stairs are are a great way to work out as well. Those are a couple ways to get quicker (laughs) workouts in (laughs) that are training your heart heart and lungs.
0: One of the things I really like about your perspective and your experience is that you're you're a high school cross country coach, so you work with young people and then you work with people of all different ages in your trek training. And I wonder if just how dramatically the strategies for training vary by age. Like how might you train a fifteen or sixteen year old differently than a fifty or sixty year old? Is it just that you can you can push the younger people harder or what else goes into that? I
1: think generally you can push the 15, 16-year-old harder, but not always. (laughs) I've worked with a woman that was 65 years old who is in better shape than some of my 15, (laughs) 16-year-olds. So, you know, you kind of start with where they're at. Mm. It doesn't always matter age-wise, but generally intensity is going to be lower as you get older. Mm -hmm. Um, And for a hiker versus a cross-country runner, you're not going to be pushing those high levels of intensity that a runner does. And for a racer that's trying to get a faster time, they need to push harder than for a trekker that is just wanting to finish a, a major long-distance trek. And the other thing that's, that may be surprising is that some of the same issues that I see with 50-, 60-year-olds. I see in my 15 and 16-year-olds such as weak glutes. We, in our society, we're sitting a lot. Our Mm. kids are sitting all day in school, and then we'll go home and sit and do homework or sit and be on, on the TV or whatnot. And, you know, same with our older generations. And so our glutes, our hips get really weak, and what can happen from that is knee pain or shin pain. And so generally I'm with... All of the, all the groups that I train, working on strengthening their hips
2: mm-hmm.
1: and rolling out as well, because there's a lot of tight muscles from sitting and from being in one position most of the day. <laughs> so that's you know something we're seeing more and more with our younger aged athletes too. Mm. It's not just in the 50, 60 year olds. Um, so definitely some things in common, but. I think the most important thing no matter how old someone is or, or young is that you start them where they are at individually yeah because everyone's different
0: here's something that i struggle with because i work with i work with young people in training for for hikes um for pilgrimage in the summer and i feel like there's a difference between you know when you're working out you often like experience some discomfort and you You know sometimes that you just have to push through it that you'll push through it You'll get to the other side, and it's just a byproduct Mm -hmm. of a good strenuous workout But sometimes it's pain that is announcing a potential injury and the most important thing Mm -hmm. is to stop immediately So how can someone judge when discomfort is something to be pushed through or when they need to stop?
1: Yeah, well, I think the first thing is just to start asking yourself some questions because everybody's pains and aches are different. Mm -hmm. Asking, one thing I'll ask my athletes is, is it on both sides of your body? And generally, (laughs) not always, if it's in the same place on both sides of the body, it's probably just general soreness from a good hard workout which is something that you can work through. Mm -hmm. Um, You may back off the next day and give your body a rest, but have an easier day, and then it generally will go away just as it's just natural soreness from a good workout. You know, that's not always the case, but a lot of times if it's on both sides of the body, it is. The other thing that I'll ask them is what does it feel like? Is it sharp? Is it dull? Is it achy, tender, tight? Does it feel like it's pulled? Because if it's sharp, that's something that you want to be careful with Mm. and probably stop right away. Um, If it's dull or achy, you know, that could just be general soreness. Mm -hmm. And if it's tender, that's something definitely to take a look at as well. Why is it tender? Or if it's feeling pulled, you probably don't want to continue. The other question I'd ask is when did it start? Did it just start that day or has it been something that's been progressing? and getting worse, and if it has been getting worse, then that's something you should stop and give that discomfort a rest so that it can heal and ice it and give it some time. And and I think if a client or athlete comes up and says that they've got some new ache or pain, you ask also, well, what did they do in the past couple of days? Did they do something new? Hmm. And so that could be, again, a general soreness from whatever thing whatever they did new. So what I do, because it is difficult to figure out, is it something I can push through or not? It's just ask a lot of questions. Mm-hmm. And if it's then progressing, then you stop. If it's sharp pain, you stop. If it's on both sides of the body, it's usually okay. But the other incidents, um, the shin splints. T- people tend to get those on both sides, both shins. Yeah. And those, you know, we, we used to when I was running, we'd just run through them, and <laughs> some people get lucky. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sometimes you get lucky and they go away, or you just deal with them all season. But the problem with pushing through shin splints is they can lead to stress fractures. Mm. So you need to be careful with those, too. And today's day and age, we have a great trainer at our school, so we send them to the trainer and they do exercises. There's specific exercises to do for shin splints Hmm. to strengthen your hips so that they can get, so if your hips are strong, then the shins probably aren't going to hurt so much. Wow. Um, And rolling out and stretching the calf muscles. So. It's not always a matter of just stopping, but also finding what are the exercises that you can do to help prevent it from coming back and to help it go away.
0: That's great advice. That's
1: kind of what I do. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's really
0: helpful. How much water should people be drinking on Camino?
1: On the Camino? Yeah. it's <laughs> a good question. <laughs> um, Yeah. Well, you know, in general, on a daily basis, if you're not working out, they say about 64 ounces of water, which Mm -hmm. most people don't get. Yeah. When you're walking the Camino, you should be at least getting that much and probably (laughs) quite a bit more. And just filling up, I I take two 64-ounce water bottles with me and I have them full. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: when one goes low, I fill it up. And on the Camino, there's plenty of places to get water, so... You know, plenty of opportunities to refill your bottle and just, you know, drinking Mm
2: -hmm.
1: consistently throughout the day. If you're not peeing, (laughs) then you're not drinking enough. (laughs) And if your pee is yellow, you're not drinking enough. So you'll know you need to increase in those two cases. I'm always
0: horrified because I I hear people like say, wow, I drank a whole two liters today. Like this is a notable accomplishment when... (laughs) <laughs> you know, that should be, it feels like that should be before lunch.
1: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, two liters is a lot for some people. Yeah.
0: So. <laughs> oh, my gosh. My last big question for you it actually doesn't involve training because it seems like for some people, once the training actually starts, the battle is, is half won. Because for many people, mm-hmm. the hardest part is actually getting the motivation to start the training process. So when mm-hmm. you're working with people, I imagine that a big part of your job is simply motivational. Like, how do you, how mm-hmm. do you motivate people to get into gear?
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think there's different approaches to it, and I generally talk to them about how amazing this adventure is that they're going on, Mm. and how amazing it can be, and it can be just this life-changing adventure where you feel amazing, and everything goes well, but then I also share with them, on the flip side, it can be a miserable adventure, (laughs) one in which you're, (laughs) yeah, you're, as you're walking, it's, Painful every step mm-hmm. and um, I've met people like that I've gone with a friend that had problems the whole time and it's not fun it's miserable yeah. and and so I just talked about you know the more you train and the more you prepare, the happier you're going to be on that adventure and you know you're taking this time out of your life to do this, uh, maybe taking time off work, spending quite a bit of money to do it, and why not? Thrive Mm -hmm. when you're out there instead of, you know, just merely surviving every step of the way. I've heard people talk about, well, it's a pilgrimage. You should, there should be some (laughs) suffering involved. (laughs) (laughs) So, and I, you know, I kind of think that that's kind of the wrong attitude. I think that you should be able to thrive while you're over there and feel great and have an amazing time instead of suffer. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, so I think motivates people just hearing what possibly could happen if they're not training. <laughs> so a fear factor, because <laughs> it does happen, you see it. Everyone mm-hmm. tells stories of people they see along the way, or it was them. Yeah, And the other, you know, I think motivating factor is, you know, you get over there and you can't finish because... You weren't properly prepared and it resulted in an overuse injury. Mm-hmm. And how discouraging would that be? Mm-hmm. So, yes, and, and just talking about how amazing it does feel when you're fit and in shape and you're enjoying all the sights that you see along the way versus being exhausted and just wanting to get there. And that generally helps.
0: I always tell the kids that like the the point of the training is not for you to be able to make it through the day's walk. It's so that you can make it through the days walk enjoying it and then when you arrive at the final destination you have the energy and and the good feeling to go explore the town enjoy it and not just collapse into mm-hmm. bed whimpering until the next day mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly because <laughs> there's a lot to explore once you get there yeah. yeah
0: yeah so it's a reward for for all of that effort that goes in ahead of time Sherry this has been super helpful if people want to connect with you, seek out more of your expertise and advice, where can they find you?
1: Well, my website is www.desktotrek.com, D-E-S-K, and then it's spelled out Mm T-O, and then Trek, T-R-E-K, dot com. And my email is just sherry at desktotrek.com. And my first name is spelled S-H-E-R-I. I also give talks if you're in the Seattle area, I give talks at the different travel stores, at Rick Steves, at Wide World Travel Store, and at Savvy Traveler in Edmonds. So those are other ways to find out about different trekking adventures as well, different caminos and different treks around the globe.
0: Sherry, thanks so much for making the time to talk with me about all this.
1: Okay, thank you for taking the time, too. <laughs>
0: With Gail Thomas of Marietta, Georgia, who has a great angle, a great story to tell from walking the Camino when few of us do in the winter. Hi, Gail, and thanks for joining me. And when exactly did you walk the Camino Frances, and where did you walk from?
3: Well, what a pleasure. We, my daughter and I, started walking from Pamplona on December 9th, 2015. Wow. And we. Arrived in Santiago in, on January 9th of 2016, so we bridged the year.
0: That's so cool, and I've always wondered what that would be like. Why did you decide to walk the community, de Santiago at that time of year in the dead of winter?
3: <laughs> it was the only choice. Well, actually, <laughs> it wasn't. I had, I had been planning to walk in the spring, mm-hmm. and my daughter and I travel during mm-hmm. the holidays, she happened to have five weeks this year, <laughs> so um, she's a student at Stanford, and mm. we gathered five weeks, and I went, you know, that's just about the right time to do the, the Camino. Would you be interested? <laughs> and she said, sure. And then I went, oh, gosh, you know, I'm so not ready for this. Yeah. And that was, like, probably a month before we left. Mm-hmm that we decided we were going to do this. So wow. I used all my frequent flyer points that I've been saving for 35 years mm-hmm. and um, bought a ticket for her and bought a ticket for me, and we ended up flying into Santiago mm-hmm. and traveled for a few days. We went to Victoria mm-hmm. and then got to Pamplona. That's awesome. It was It was pretty awesome. The thing is, I have never been hiking before. Wow. And I really didn't know, for some reason, in my head... I didn't think this was a hike, or I didn't know what a hike was, or I just thought about the spiritual aspects, quite honestly, and wow. the okay. the, uh, the aloneness of it, mm-hmm. and I really didn't think about hiking or any physical exertion. Oops. Mm-hmm. And so when, I, <laughs> so when I was packing, I went to REI, and I went to all those stores looking for shoes that you could walk in, mm-hmm. like hiking boots, and nothing felt good. I ended up ordering from L.L. Bean, mm-hmm. every single bean boot they have. <laughs> and if you know what bean boots are, <laughs> they're massively heavy yeah. things. I mean, they're mudruckers. I don't even know what they are. <laughs> um, I ended up with a pair of men's bean boots.
2: Oh, my gosh.
3: Um, on my, that's what I thought was I was going to walk in. Mm-hmm. And as we were walking around in Vitoria and in Santiago before heading out, I couldn't even lift my feet. Mm. They were just so heavy. So by some miracle, the night before we left, we passed a sporting goods store. Mm-hmm. And it was after dark. <laughs> and I said, let's just go in here. Maybe there's something, <laughs> something we can do. And the first pair of shoes I tried on were just perfect. Wow. And after having tried on probably 60 pairs here. So we went to the post office and sent my bean boots back home. <laughs> <laughs> it, was, it was such a blessing. It was an yeah. amazing blessing. What an yeah. awesome
0: uh, way to start with that feeling that everything is going to work out.
3: Yeah, the Camino provides. That yeah. was a that was a provide that was providing before we even got there. <laughs> it it yeah. was really, it was really uh, a blessing.
0: Yeah, I have a lot of fairly practical questions, but I imagine lots of, of people are wondering the same stuff. So, you know, planning for a winter pilgrimage. How did you? Pack for this. Like I have to believe you were carrying a lot more weight than most of us walking in the warmer seasons do.
3: I don't know if we did or didn't. I mean, huh. I have overpacked, and so my daughter kept on sending me to the post office and having me send back stuff. <laughs> um, but really, it, it doesn't take much. I had two pairs of leggings.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: I had a thermal long sleeve thermal shirt from Albee. Mm-hmm. I had a. Uh, Six dollar on sale hoodie. Yeah, from Kohl's, and I don't know. I had something else. Yeah. <laughs> and that was it. Just just those layers. That was it. Mm-hmm. And a t shirt for sleeping in. What mm-hmm. was it? Those are the only clothes we had, and that's all we needed.
0: Wow, you did keep it pretty simple.
3: Really simple. There's, you know, you just don't have to bring much.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. What was the yeah. albergue situation like in the winter? Did you still have? a lot of options to stay, and were they heated? Were they warm?
3: Oh, that was a good question. In <laughs> fact, when you get when you get to an albergue, that's one of the first things you ask, because you're just, it's brutal outside. Yeah. And so the first thing you ask is, do you have heat? <laughs> <laughs> do you have hot water? <laughs> I mean, it's just meager things that you want, you know? Yeah. And um, you just, one time, there was a, a, a portable heater, and we all gathered around it, because... The, it, it was an old um, town hall that had not been heated at all,
2: mm-hmm.
3: and it was freezing in there. <laughs> I mean, just freezing. So we were all huddled around this little infrared thing, trying to, trying to stay warm. We all got in our sleeping bags with all our clothes on. It was just it was cold. Yeah but usually it was pretty nice. Um, the albergues, however, were mostly closed. Mm-hmm. And you don't have the option of, "Here I'm tired, let's stop." yeah you know there's, there's nothing in between. Um, the major stops are the only stops. Hmm. and <laughs> it's pretty amazing. so <laughs> it, it meant for long days. I mean we did 20, 30 kilometers a day every day. yeah so it was it was pretty rough on this old woman here <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, no kidding. But,
3: but yeah, they were closed, and so you we had some Camino buddies, and one was from France and had the, oh the French Camino book. He was really scouting out the places that were open, and I had a list, mm-hmm. but yeah, so we kind of planned that way. I mean, just kind of looked ahead to see where we could stop mm-hmm. before we we started out, and that kind of dictated when we started out,
0: yeah, that makes sense. You've already alluded yep. to it, but obviously the biggest question here in the winter is how is the weather? I just have these I have mm-hmm. these bleak visions of of week long stretches of constant rain and cold. what did you experience <laughs>
3: Um, at the beginning, we were extremely blessed. In fact, I have a friend who lives near Santiago, mm-hmm. and she said, you know, the weather for you has just been really wonderful, because it's mm. usually cold and rainy. We we started out, and um, all across the plain, pretty much, it was foggy,
2: mm-hmm.
3: really foggy all the time. So pictures were kind of not happening. Yeah. But just fog all the time. Um, <laughs> so when you get to Alto de Paragon, it's all... Fog, everything's fog. And then we got into past Leon, mm-hmm. I think, and it and it started to rain. <laughs> and it rained so much that it flooded. <laughs> oh, and no. severely flooded. We had severe floods. We uh, went up to Ocebrero
2: mm-hmm. and
3: got there and there was snow snow on the ground. Yeah. But it was fine. Not much snow, but there was some. And then when we left the next day it was like a hurricane of <laughs> rain wind and sleet oh, God. and you couldn't walk. my daughter who is a, who runs maybe 5k 10k a day mm-hmm. a very strong person couldn't walk straight i mean <laughs> it just blew you and our little raincoats that cover your backpack and your head were whipped around and you soaked right through to the skin and beyond uh. to the pr- prune point everywhere but with freezing cold water. (laughs) It was just like, I mean, you just have to start laughing because it's like, (laughs) what on earth? And it went on for days. But that that hurricane type wind Mm
2: -hmm.
3: was two days worth and not a single soul in Spain was outside because not even the animals, (laughs) the animals were all in barns. But you were... Everybody, you didn't see anybody or anything for days. Yeah. It's like, oh my gosh.
0: (laughs) Did you ever think about stopping?
3: No. Ha! Let's rephrase that. The first day going up to Alto de Verdon yeah. from uh, Pamplona, mm-hmm. I thought I was going to die. I really <laughs> was like, I, I'm out of shape. I mean, I wasn't thinking this way at all. Mm-hmm. And so we are just going up and up and up and up and up. And I'm just like, oh my God, it's horrible. <laughs> And I just couldn't go any farther. And I said, look, you know, just leave me here and let me die. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was pretty serious. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, just like, here, I'll climb in my sleeping bag. I'll stay here and I'll, I'll continue and find you in the morning. I just don't care right now. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, so, yeah, we, we actually got into uh, Hotel Jacue,
2: mm-hmm. I think it's called. Yeah.
3: And, um, and Puente de la Arena. Yeah. And I couldn't walk. I just couldn't walk. So we stayed there for two days and let my swollen ankles that looked like they were in bad shape and I wouldn't be able to continue go 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 back down. But other than that, we really didn't have any problems. Hmm. A lot of pain, yeah, but nothing that would stop you.
0: Did you ever worry about your safety given the cold, the wet, just all of the inclement weather?
3: If I had been alone, I would have. Mm -hmm. But no. Hmm. No, I wasn't worried about the safety in that way. There there were a couple of times when we had dogs that were let out by people out of their barns. In fact, during that hurricane,
2: mm-hmm.
3: some Australian shepherds were let out just as we were passing. One attacked the Achilles of my daughter. Whoa. So the, the, the bastones came in handy for yeah. that. So that was a little scary, but mm-hmm. that's it. That's the only incident.
0: One of the other things I think about is, you know, when I think about summer in Spain, I just think about abundant daylight. That maybe leaving the albergue it's dark, but it's it's light out until well after 10 p.m. Sometimes wow.
1: pushing 11.
0: Yeah, but in the winter, like you must have had days with like nine hours of of light. Was it was that an issue? Like were you often like running out of daylight as you as you walk?
3: Well, sometimes a few days we we ended up you know arriving in the dark, and that's a little difficult when you're looking for something in a small town. Yeah. But not really. I mean, we didn't have too much trouble. We took off fairly late in the morning, not like the summer people who leave at the crack of dawn because they're so, racing somewhere. We'd, we didn't have to race anywhere. Yeah. Just had to make it a long distance and do it pleasantly. Hmm. And not, no race. It's not a, you know, just go. Just walk.
0: What was the Pilgrim community like?
3: Oh, God. You know, I think everybody has an incredible, incredible stories about the people they meet on the Camino.
0: Yeah, but the winter, you know? Like, I just imagine the kinds of people who go in the winter. <laughs> it just must be, like, a particularly hardy bunch.
3: I don't know. Some of them were, and some of the, I mean, just, we had Koreans and French and Italian and, mm-hmm. uh, and every nationality but American, mm. and you know, very few people. Hmm. So we had a little tight group of about, Oh, five of us mm-hmm. that met up for the holidays, and then we gathered people around us for the holidays. But very few people around the Camino. We went days; Like, we took off one morning and didn't have coffee. There was no coffee available in the town.
0: Oh, my
2: God.
3: Um, or, or in the <laughs> albergue. So we took off in the morning with nothing, and my daughter was very keen on not having carrying any food because it was just weight. <laughs> well, that was a bad idea because... <laughs> Because we didn't find anything. There was no stop. There was no coffee. There was no lunch. There was no fruit. <laughs> there was nothing all day long. And we saw no one. There's nothing and no one. It's yeah. like, okay, then. This is good. I'm really hungry, honey. <laughs> but the community is incredible. The people were, were just the highlight of the whole thing, just made a family. And just feel really, really love those people and young men, you know, exploring mm-hmm. the world. And so I was kind of like the mama. And that was, that was <laughs> fine. It was lovely.
0: I think people might be listening and, you know, they're hearing, oh, my God, no coffee. <laughs> no, like no, everything's, right. everything's closed. The, there's, this is not You're good. getting drenched through your your rain jacket to the skin. It's freezing cold. And... Yet you're you're laughing, and it sounds like these are all fond memories in their own way. Oh, so, they really are. So, wh- what is it about with all of those difficulties that like makes it still so glorious?
3: It's just the you know, it's a more memorable day than a than a fine day. If
0: that makes any
3: sense. <laughs> and after a while, it seems like you know God's throwing everything he's got at you, <laughs> and so what are you going to do? just laugh. I mean, there was one time, I mean, during that hurricane thing, or just afterwards, Mm -hmm. uh, the second day of the hurricane, kind of wind and sleet, my daughter and I were just, we were just looking, going, oh my God, we were sort of a little bit lost.
2: Mm -hmm.
3: I I think that's what happened. We were at some crossroad, and I I just started laughing, (laughs) and my daughter started laughing, because it was just like, oh, this is so absurd. We are soaked to the bone, our teeth are chattering. I wet my pants. <laughs> I was going, oh, my gosh, I wet my pants. My daughter goes, never mind. Nobody will ever know because the rain, I mean, it was just pouring <laughs> off of us. Oh and my it was gosh. just It was ridiculous. It was absurd. It mm-hmm. was, uh, and because of that, it was just wonderful, and God provided. It was just, I wouldn't have traded that experience for anything, <laughs> not for anything. I can't imagine the summer Camino that everybody talks about. Mm. I can't imagine having so many people around me hmm. and perfect conditions. <laughs> That's just not what we had. Yeah. So it's kind of the opposite of a summer Camino.
0: Is there a, a defining moment for you that kind of sticks out in your memory that really captures what it was like to be a winter pilgrim?
3: There are three moments. One is the Hurricane of Sleep. Yep. The next one is Christmas mm. altogether. And that was very magical. You were in, uh, I've forgotten the name. We, we were in some little town yeah. <laughs> and before Leon, okay. and it was a municipal, mm-hmm. and it had a choir loft. Hmm. You went upstairs to the albergue, mm-hmm. and then it looked over a stage. And we had probably, we weren't planning on many people. We were planning on like five, six, and we ended up with like 20 people. Wow! And so we bought. I had bought a bunch of food before we got there, and we brought it with us, mm-hmm. thinking I had to feed the boys who eat like crazy. <laughs> and I uh, brought wine, brought a bunch of stuff, just thinking the guys wouldn't be thinking correctly to prepare.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: And so when they got there, we said, "Go out quickly! There's one store open, and get wine, get get wine, and get." <laughs> and when we saw more people come in, we go, "Go get wine and food." And we just had an a, a incredible celebration, and yeah. then Santa Claus came. No. They, while the guys were out, yes, he did. <laughs> Honest to God, he did. Um, he, while the guys were out buying, you know, like, 30 bottles of wine, mm-hmm. uh, the people from the community came up stairs, and San, there was a guy dressed as Santa Claus. Wow. And I don't know. <laughs> and it was just my daughter and I that were there, and, and he brought... And they brought, like, four bottles of champagne Hmm. and nuts and fruit. It was really kind. And then we had a free concert that night. Wow. um, They melt up on the top bunks of the albergue, Mm -hmm. looking towards the stage, and peek through the curtains and watch this incredible concert, uh, community dance, uh, just everything. It was a great, great celebration.
0: That is
2: awesome. So
3: that was another one. And the other one was the flood and being carried across flooded rivers by giant Germans. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, literally, they stripped out because, I mean, it really, we weren't strong enough to, to do it. There, there was that stone bridge, I mm-hmm. where that is, too, and that was under about four feet of water, of rushing water.
0: Oh, my gosh.
3: So if there, if there had been a car in that, it would have been swept away. So we looked for a long time for a way around it. There was no way around it. And finally, these, (laughs) I don't know how tall they were, I don't know how much they weighed, but they were solid muscle people, basically stripped down and carried us across.
0: Oh, my gosh.
3: I know. (laughs) (laughs) It was amazing. So even though we were up in their arms, we still got, we were still in the water. Yeah. It was just wild. I mean, almost ripped from their arms from the current. So that was another another thing to remember. That is intense. I know it was. (laughs) They were our angels. Yeah. (laughs) They were our angels.
0: Yeah, the buffest angels around.
3: (laughs) Yeah, cool. They were buff.
0: What was New Year's like?
3: Oh, gosh. New Year's was another wonderful time, actually. We were coming down the mountain from somewhere, and I was so slow. It was so steep. The rocks were so big. I was, my balance sucks. Yeah. And so I was going really slow. My daughter was sick as a dog with a cold. And so we came to a town, and we were going to actually see if we could take a taxi, because it was getting really late,
2: mm-hmm. and
3: we had several more kilometers to go. We had like 15 more kilometers to go. And so we looked for it. Nobody, all the towns are abandoned during the winter.
2: Mm-hmm.
3: People only live in those towns during the summer. <laughs> so, <laughs> so we actually saw two, we were lucky enough to find two people talking in the street, and I asked them if there was a taxi. They said no. And I said, you know, we don't know what to do. We're really stuck. My daughter's sick. And I'm having a hard time going down this mountain. And we ended up staying in a man's house. He runs a uh, Casa Rural, hmm. and, but not during the winter, of course. Right. And, oh, my gosh, they it was incredible. We had a view of the mountains like none other. And um they made us an incredible New Year's dinner with wine and all this special wow. cooking and all this beautiful stuff and they gave us presents and they introduced us to all their friends and <laughs> <laughs> made us a little New Year's plate with a twelve, 12, 12 uvas. 12 uvas yeah. The twelve grapes and chocolates and champagne. It's just very very kind people, very wonderful experience.
0: Oh my gosh. And
3: uh it's a great view and warm with real sheets and blankets. Wow. (laughs) It was great.
0: What an experience you had.
3: I think everybody's experience is is exactly what it's supposed to be. Yeah. And I'm just really thankful for the experience that we ended up having, especially since I had no idea what I was doing.
0: (laughs) You said at the beginning that you that you had sort of the spiritual preparation or that you had been thinking about the spiritual aspect of the walk. Right, exactly. But, but not the physical. So what was what was your spiritual experience like? I imagine that in some ways the the winter walk is, is maybe more conducive to some of those spiritual uh, reflections.
3: I think so. I think a lot of my time on the Camino was just surviving the walking, like one hmm. foot in front of the other, because I was so out of shape. Yeah. But... Yeah, there was a pretty profound spiritual release, I think, hmm. that happened, and I, that's not what I expected. Um, I just expected time praying, you know, in solitude. But actually, it, it seems like uh, everybody carries around their own guilt—the so woulda, shoulda,
2: coulda—and
3: mm. and that's been hounding me for years. I mean, just all the things that you woulda, coulda, shoulda done, and it all released. I don't know how it released. I didn't even realize it released. But when I got home, I went, wow, I am so much lighter, just so much lighter. And it was just in the grace of God.
0: What advice would you give to someone who is thinking about, you know, when to walk the Camino, is considering the winter as a possibility? Like, would you, would you advise anyone to do it?
3: I can't imagine not enjoying the experience. Hmm. You can't, you can't be Pris. <laughs> but I don't think anybody on the Camino is oppressed. Yeah. You just have to go with it. It is what it is. It's a different experience, I think, from the summer Camino. It's not the heat and the lots, you know, hundreds of people around you and fighting for a room or whatever that is. It's people actually having to open an albergue for you,
2: mm-hmm.
3: finding the person who has the key to the albergue so you can get in <laughs> and being the only people there. Mm-hmm. that's um it's a bit different. So, yeah, you, you can't be risk to getting wet or cold or hungry, and you will you will be warm again, and you will be dry again, and you will be fed. It's okay. <laughs> so it's a matter of giving it up to God and, and relaxing into your journey.
0: That's awesome. I've really enjoyed this, Gail. Thanks so much for making the time to share your experiences.
3: Well, it, it was fun recounting it, actually. It's been almost a year now. Yeah. So it was. it's a lot of fun remembering that. Thank you, Dave.
0: One of the things that Sherry and I didn't talk about when discussing training and the demands of pilgrimage is the mental aspect. One of the things that really hit me when I set out to make my second pilgrimage, was just how different my outlook was. The reality was that as I moved through my first pilgrimage on the Camino de Santiago, I was assailed the whole way by doubts. Even into the last few days, I still wasn't totally sure or confident that I would make it to Santiago. When something hurt, I worried that my body was breaking down, that this really was the end. And on a given day, I would often just sort of get down on myself or on my body's capacity to push through the remaining kilometers or miles in front of me. And going into my second pilgrimage, those doubts were gone. I had total confidence. But more than that overarching perspective, that view that I would make it to Santiago, I think something fundamentally changed in how I approached each individual day, because I no longer tried to sort of force through 10 kilometers in an hour. I never really tried to sort of cheat the walk. Instead, I sort of embraced the pace. And while I might try to go faster or slower at a particular time, I just sort of understood mentally what the rhythm of the day was like, what the flow was like, and my mind accepted it. And it's a hard thing to really capture in words what that difference was, but it was huge. Because the reality is that walking is not as physically demanding as running or some of the other ways that we might push our bodies. That's not to say that it's not physically demanding, of course, but it's less so. And many of us can handle the process of going 10, 15 miles for a day or multiple days in a row without a ton of specialized training. The body can absorb it. But what wears on you, I think is the mental aspect of it. The doubt, the wondering if you can make it, the feeling uncomfortable or antsy. Every step is a choice. At any moment while you're walking, you can decide to stop. And it's easy to be tempted into stopping. And the first time through, it's easy to yield to that. But the more that you walk, the more comfortable you get with the rhythm, the more that you embrace that grind, the more likely you are to really just sort of settle into that flow state, to really learn to love the challenge of it. And as you learn to love the challenge, it actually becomes, in its own way, less challenging. And I don't know if you can really achieve that in the training for your first pilgrimage experience, but the one thing you can get out of just walking more regularly, of doing what Sherry suggests by getting in back-to-back-to-back long-distance walks, is a little bit more belief that, in fact, you really can do this. And I think that that confidence can go a long way in your first pilgrimage experience. That's going to do it for this episode. Thanks, as always, for listening, and thanks to Sherry from Seattle, Washington. Again, desk2trek.com, if you want to reach out and find out more about her programming and her approach to trek training. And thanks, as well, to Gail Thomas, who, uh, again, was great in sharing those stories from the road. I will uh, always remember her description of uh, of the pseudo-hurricane and the Christmas on the Camino. It's awesome. Get in touch if you are interested in being involved or if you have ideas for segments, things you're interested in hearing. Camino podcasts at gmail.com. You can also connect on Facebook, facebook.com slash Podcast or on the Camino Forum online. So lots of ways to get in touch. Stay tuned. More episodes coming soon. Hope you're all having a great fall.